Well, I invite you to take a Bible from our church Bibles, and if you would please turn to page 863, which is the one John, or first John, that would be page 863 in the church Bibles, and in just a moment, I'm going to begin reading from 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Well, let's hear the word of the Lord, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who sin breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him are known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And here's our main text for this evening. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Amen. This is the word of God. Let's pray, please. Father, first we want to thank you for the privilege of being able to worship you. And we want, God, for you to make it so that every heart here would prepare you room. And please help me and help all of us as you teach us And transform us as your word is open and preached this Christmas Eve. Bless us, Father, please, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Near the end of the Second World War, behind the enemy lines in Nazi Germany, there were a number of prisoner of war camps. And in this one particular camp, which mostly American soldiers were kept... They were not well fed. They were incredibly mistreated, thin, feeble, discouraged. And as you would suspect, along with that came great discouragement, the the wondering if they were ever going to go home again and be with their families, sleep in their own beds, eat from their own table. All that was just way too much for most of the men, and day after day, the Nazi guards would watch these men behind the fences and, and see their downhearted faces and see their thin bodies and, and see these men barely speaking to each other, having this great sense of hopelessness and utter despair, which, which is part and parcel of their life as a prisoner of war. However, there was one morning in which suddenly everything had changed. Or at least least it appeared that way. The men were still behind the fences. They were still not well fed. They were still very sick. But on that one particular day, the Nazi guards noticed that the prisoners were quite happy. They were smiling. They were talking. They were gathering in little huddles. And every so often, they let out a little bit of a hooray. And the guards had no idea what was going on. 
And what had happened was somehow a small transistor radio was smuggled into the camp and they heard the news. They heard the news that the Allied forces had landed. They were winning. They were headed inland, headed into Germany, and it could be just days, days, and the war would be over because liberation was happening and it was coming. Now, here's why I begin this way this Christmas Eve. The point of that story is the power of news, good news. Nothing had changed for these men except news, news, good news from which arose joy and hope. That was part of our lesson this past Sunday morning. I bring you good news, the angel said, that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. News, good news, a Savior born, causing joy as people thought through the implications of this Christ child's birth. Now, loved ones, we are very much like those prisoners from this story in this sense. This is not heaven. This will never be heaven. As you look around the world, so for example, in Syria, millions of displaced citizens wandering around the world, no home, no community. This week's cover of Time magazine, a little baby that was just born, and the, and the title is Finding No Home. You open up to the article, and there's this beautiful young lady with her baby, and it says, children of no nation, how do you keep a family together when you've lost everything? Maybe you noticed, I think there was about a week ago, there was pictures of a small child from Aleppo with the board beside him saying, get these children out of hell. That's our world. Or maybe you lost your father or your mother this year. Maybe you lost your husband. Maybe you lost your wife. Maybe you're terminal right now. And you feel like you're in that prison camp. The the food before you is not enough. You're starving. You're hurting. And even your Christmas privileges, which are good, they're not helping. Add to that, all of us here, on a daily basis, have to deal with our indwelling sin. None of us will will ever be perfect as long as we're here and as long as we're in this body. And yet Christmas tells us news has broken. Good news. And this news of Christ as our Savior is the best news we will ever hear. And it's in fact better news than the news that the prisoners heard of the Allied troops coming into Germany for this reason. There were a few American soldiers in the barracks at that time, who were so sick and so emaciated, they knew that they were not going to last and that they would die before the war was over and their liberation would come. And so liberation for them at the earthly level meant nothing. Nothing. It didn't help. That's not true for the Christian. Because unless Christ returns before we die, we will die in the camp. We will die in this foreign land, which is not our home. But Jesus appeared, as so many of the songs we've sung over this Christmas have taught us, Jesus appeared in order that now our guilt might be taken away, our sin might be covered, a perfect righteousness would be supplied, a peaceful relationship with God be given, our fear of death removed, and he came... 
He was born so that he might give himself over to death and bow down to death so that death would swallow him up and hold him for three days. Then, as preached by Jesus himself, he would defeat death and he would destroy death and death would have to give up Christ. Death dead by the death of Christ and his resurrection. But loved ones, that isn't all. Because every so often when you read the New Testament, you find a concise statement of the essence of the Christmas story, which doesn't always come in the most likely spots. So we're not reading uh, from Matthew's gospel. We're not in Luke. We're not reading from John's prologue. Indeed, the verse we read from the Bible to get this talk started this evening is probably one of the least likely spots one would look to find the Christmas story. And it's also perhaps the least likely thing that you would hear about the Christmas story. I mean, did you honestly expect to hear this read this Christmas Eve? The reason the Son of God appeared, the reason why Christ was born into this world was to destroy the devil's work. To destroy the works of the devil. Did you expect to hear that on this night? Because it's one thing to explain and for people to believe in the virgin birth. It's another thing to explain and for people to believe in the incarnation that God uh, became a man and, and a baby and he dwells in flesh. Both part of the Christmas story. But now we have to explain that this child was born. He appeared to destroy the works of the devil when roughly half the people in America are pretty sure there is no devil. Right? There's, there's no person which, which emanates all evil. All evil finds its source, its origin in this one person. But John tells us, John who was a follower of Christ, who, who heard Jesus speak and, and was with Jesus for three years and died in an island as a martyr, in a sense, for Jesus. John bears witness to Christ being born and raised from the dead. And so he gives us the full Christmas story. Verse 8b, you'll see this if your Bible's open, the reason why Christ appeared, the reason why he was born into this world, the reason why Christmas happens was to destroy the work of the devil. Two very brief points. What, what does this mean? And why does it matter? Okay, what does this mean? Now, the specific focus John wants us to have when he says works of the devil is the sin that the devil promotes. And we know this because the first part of verse 8 says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Okay, what does that mean? Because I sin. Well, it means this. This is the unwavering, unrepentant sinner, the sinner which refuses to call sin what God calls sin. The sinner who refuses to align themselves with God so that what God says is right is right and what God says is wrong is wrong. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So from the beginning, he's been dishonoring God. He's been ignoring God. He refuses to worship God since the beginning. So the works of the devil which Jesus came to destroy are the works of sin. So the Son of God came. In a baby, a human being, to, verse 5, to take away sin and destroy the works of the devil. Namely, verse 8, sin. So again, Jesus was born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit, Matthew chapter 1. 
He increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Luke chapter 2. Jesus was perfectly obedient and sinless all his life in ministry, all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross, Philippians 2. Why did he do that? In order to destroy the works of the devil to take away sin. Now, that is huge. That is huge. It's good news if you are aware of your sin. So John says, when men, listen carefully, and women and young people and children, when they commit sin, it is a work of the devil. So the work of the devil is to tempt people to sin. And when we sin, his work is accomplished. Can he make people sin? Of course not. Can he tempt people? Yes. So what the Son of God came to destroy by His appearing, by His birth, is not just the guilt of sin and not just the penalty of sin, but actually sin. The Son of God appeared to destroy sinning. So Christmas is God breaking into this world in a real time and in a real place and declaring sin is going to end. There's coming a day when there'll never be jealousy, no more hate, No more anger, no more lies, no more lust, no more envy, no more murder, no more rage, no more slander. It's going to be destroyed. The Christ child will rescue God's people from the devil and ultimately destroy the sin in their lives. Now, let's just define the work of the devil just a little bit more precisely. What is sin? If your Bible's open, you'll see this, verse 4. Everyone who sins is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And the law that John has in mind here is God's law. It's the expression of God's revealed will for his, for his creatures through his word. So here's one. Love one another as I, God, loved you. It's Calvary love. Lawlessness, then, is living as though your own ideas are superior to God. Lawlessness says, God may demand it, but I do not prefer it. Lawlessness says, God may promise it, but I want no part of it. Lawlessness is a closed Bible and therefore a rebel mind. Lawlessness replaces God's law with our different desires, and it affects every one of us here. Now listen carefully. There is this mysterious twist in every one of us, which the Bible calls original sin. And it makes rebellion against God as real and natural and for the most part unnoticed to us as breathing. Lawlessness then is rebellion against the right of God to make laws and rule over our lives. The living God's right to tell people what to do and what not to do and what to say and what not to say and so on. Which emanates out of God's love for his people because he wants us to get it right. And God's love for his holiness and love for his righteousness and his love for purity, 100%. Not just outward purity, 100% inward purity at every moment of our existence. Therefore, the work of the devil is to nurture and to cultivate the pride that puts our own desires above the law of God. Lawlessness. And so the Bible says lawlessness is in essence sin, and that is why the Son of God appeared. To destroy this in me, and to destroy this in you, and to destroy this in the world. 
So now we can see clearly why the Son of God appeared in flesh. Through this virgin birth, he came to destroy the works of the devil, our sin. Sin. That's what this means. Final question. Why does this matter? Well, it matters because John is telling us that Christ appeared and his birth wasn't, and I want to be careful here, he wasn't born to give us some soupy, sentimental, you know, fuzzy-wuzzy feeling in our bellies on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. I mean, we may have that, and that's fine. But that's not why he appeared. He was born into this world. In essence, if you think about it, he was reborn, born again, so that we would know why it is necessary for us to be born again, converted, changed. Verse 9 tells us, No one born of God commits sin. For God's nature, literally it is in the Greek, it's God's seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. This is the Christian. Now anybody can sin who wants to sin. So when John says that a person born of God cannot sin, he means that a person born of God has new wants and new desires. So it's like a child uh, being born. Something new has come into existence. So Jesus called conversion being born again. Paul calls it a new creation. Jeremiah called it a new heart. Ezekiel calls it a new spirit. Hebrews tells us that God puts his law in the Christian, in their heart, and he writes his law in our mind. Because we're new, we're different. New birth. Being born of God is being changed by God so that the dominion of sin is broken. We sin, but when the dust settles from all that, we hate it. We hate it. So it's not that we'll never sin again. But the power of sin, the devil's power, is broken and is being broken in our lives. That's why this matters. You see, the logic of the gospel is that once Christ comes in, a life of humble obedience is produced by a transformed heart in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how how is it all broken? Verse 9 says that when a person is born of God, God's seed abides in them, and that's why they cannot live in sin. That's why they cannot remain unrepentant in their sin. It's too much for them. It's too much. And again, the image is taken from an ordinary human birth. When a father begets a child, the father's seeds abides in the child. Something of the father is in the child, and it makes him like his father. If we lined up a few men up here right now, and my son was one of them, and you didn't know who he was, my guess is that you'd be able to pick him out pretty easily. Why? Something of the father is in the child, and it makes him like his father. God's character is the very opposite of sin. Therefore, the child of God will be like his father. Therefore, he can't remain fighting with his dad. Eventually, he's going to say, Dad, you're right. So John is not telling us that we have to be perfect to be Christian. Of course not. Well, how do we know this? Well, one, we know by experience, but uh, he said this. This is what John said in chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. In other words, John says, Christian, it is a sin to say, to think, to carry yourself like you are sinless. Therefore, here in chapter 3, verse 8 and following, John is saying, no one born of God is content to keep sinning for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot be content to keep on sinning because he's God's child. Therefore, the devil and his minions war against God's revealed will given in the scripture. They war against God's kingdom expanding. They are the adversary of God, the Satan, the evil one. He seduces men and women from holding any kind of allegiance to God. He's the father of lies, half-truths, and idle speculation. This is John Calvin describing the devil. There must be extreme depravity in a mind bent on attacking the glory of God and the salvation of man. That's the devil. That's sin. Sin. God is off to the side and we treat him like our cabana boy. The evil one is the accuser of the family of God. That might be his best evil work. His terrible work is constantly accusing, constantly being critical of the people of God. That's the devil's tongue, saints. Accusations and condemnations, that is the native tongue of the devil. However, this is the good news. Because the Son of God appeared in Christ, in Christ, No accusation can stand against God's people. Neither Satan nor people can make that charge stick. Why? Because the case has been closed. Christ is the Christian's righteousness. Right? So, a couple, one verse. uh, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, because of the gospel, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. If you're here regularly, you know we sing this song. It's a great song. It's a song that I ask my family to remember. Verse 2, when Satan tempts us to despair and reminds us of the guilt within, upward we look and see him there, Christ, who made an end to all our sin. Paul puts it perfectly and gloriously in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now listen carefully. This is what theologians call the glorious exchange. Christ became the greatest sinner who ever was by imputation on the cross. God crediting all of our sins for all time to Christ so that we would be credited the very righteousness of Christ right now. Think of that. Right now, if you're a Christian. And now, because of Jesus, our accuser, the devil, is disarmed. If he tries to speak before the throne of God, condemning, shame will cover his face. If he tries to harass you in your mind, don't try to defend yourself by your deeds. Just think gospel. Tell the evil one, the gospel. Oh, how thankful and how joyful and grounded we ought to be as we enjoy this Christian privilege, even as we perform our Christian duty. Because Christ appeared 
to destroy the works of the devil, sin, lawlessness, its power, its penalty, and one day its very presence. Two quick questions and we're through. You're here this evening. Ask yourself this question. Have you, have you had a moment in your life when you confessed to God your lawlessness and you cried out to God for mercy and you bowed to this Christ who appeared as your Savior and the ruler of your life? Have you had that moment in your life as of yet? Good news. Christ appeared to offer this to you this evening. Final question. So how, how is the evil one being destroyed and will soon be destroyed? Because we know this world is a wicked, wicked place. Think. Was it some massive um, Christian military operation? Was it some massive Christian political movement? Was it some massive uh, Christian social movement? Was it a grand strategy of a meeting of a half a billion Christians saying, we're not going to take it anymore? No. It was a baby. It was a baby. It was God in human flesh who appeared the Christ child who grew up to die to destroy the work of the devil. Sin. Sin. In every generation, the people who have come to Jesus Christ are those who have come to the end of themselves, recognize their helplessness, throw themselves on the mercy of a forgiving God, and he accepts them just as they are. I've got some good news. There's coming a day when sin, let's think, sin is going to be completely destroyed. Thanks for your attention. Let's pray together. Eternal Father, maker and sustainer of everyone and everything, thank you that you appeared in the person of your Son to destroy the work of of the devil, sin. Come in power, rule over all our hearts, for Jesus' sake, amen.